Options activity has altered the investment landscape. Get an edge on this massive flow of funds with Tier 1 Alpha's Market Situation Report brought to you by Hedgeye. A daily newsletter of the latest moves in the options market and a weekly webcast featuring myself, Mike Green of Simplify Asset Management, and Tier 1 Alpha's Craig Peterson and David Pegler. Go to hedgeye.com research for more information. Welcome to the Weekly Notebook Review. I am Robert McGrorty. This podcast takes on a bit of a different format where we are live each week on Twitter Spaces. I crack open my notebook and review Hedgeye research with anyone who wants to learn a better way to invest. We feature both Hedgeye power users as well as some special guests that might pop in. If you want to learn more about our research, visit Hedgeye.com. If you'd like to participate in the live stream, follow me on Twitter at HedgeyeRJM. Now, let's review the data. Good afternoon, folks. It is uh, 12.30 here on the East Coast, September 6th. Our first uh, first full trading week, I guess, of September. Uh, a little bit different here, and apologies for being late. I got my wires crossed on my end. I was just sitting here looking at uh, S&P and some other components, and all of a sudden I looked down as 12.30. So apologies for a bit of a delay, because um, I meant for this to... Get going. I'm basically late to my own show. Uh, <laughs> 15 minutes late to my own show. But that, it, you know, this is okay. Uh, a little bit different one today. We're kind of mixing that up. Normally, this is uh, how these weekly notebook reviews happen after market close. But uh, we are kind of figured I'd mix it up a little bit and do during uh, during market hours, lunchtime here. And uh, and yeah, so we got to uh, see some good friends of the program out there, Mr. Loftus. Mr. Pastilia joined. Um, so yeah, so if you guys want to jump up and 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 chat or share kind of what you're seeing in the markets, happy to uh, happy to have you guys up here. Um, we'll we'll kind of get going. Uh, just a couple of key things, I guess, this morning in terms of some big takeaways. Um, you know, Keith uh, turned that uh, that free red eye green eye app that we've talked about uh, a number of times. He turned that to snooze and bear. So that's the Thunder Bay Bear. He's uh, he's basically. You know what you wrote this in an RTA, but you know when 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 you see that it's basically, um, you know, he's just kind of covering some of his shorts, right? So he's uh, just kind of waiting to see, you know, what the market does and and uh, where he might be able to uh, put those shorts back on, right? So uh, just kind of um, keep that in mind. We're at a we're almost down a little over one percent on the S and P as we head into our midday session here, uh, and and yes, yeah, so, I mean I think from from a tier one alpha standpoint, that lower lower band or kind of right on it in regards to their PV band, you know that is not um, that's not our risk range, but you know that is their PV band. It was around, you know, I think four four fifty uh, was the level of the day. Let me just double check that uh, forty four fifty one. Excuse me. Uh, so forty four fifty one was the loan of their risk range. Uh, forty three fifty five is our immediate term uh, low end of the risk range. So we still do have. Uh, ways to go in order to get to the low end of, the, of that uh, of that range there on on our side in regards to the risk range that you'll get in the risk range product. I think that's that's an interesting one in in the call that I wanted to make because although you know Keith is uh, you know put that um, red eye green eye out to to neutral, uh, I think it's a telling sign where we do have almost uh, a little over two percent downside. Um, and he's kind of just uh, getting a little bit, uh, I won't say defensive, but just sort of, you know, uh, it's payday, right? So it's always good to pay day, to, to pay yourself. You're never going to um, lose sleep over um, putting extra cash in the bank and all that kind of stuff. So 
uh, whether you trade on a shorter term duration or more of a longer term duration and, and both um, you also see, as I said, uh, Pistilli and, and Michael Loftus are both um, investment advisors and run their own RIAs. So, you know, uh, typically, you know, they'll have a bit more of a longer term outlook. But if you uh, if you if you made right decisions at the right times, uh, and not just on the S and P, but you know, for instance, on maybe fading some of the the rate moves, right? Whether you put on um, SJB, which would be a, a short. Uh, junk bonds um, ETF. So, you know, we were certainly shorting high yield last week um, <clears throat> as rates moved to the low end of, of their risk range and, and then, you know, uh, popped since then. So we're up at the 4.30 on the 10 year and 5.027 on the two year. Um, so, again, these things, uh, it's all kind of intertwined. Uh, the dollar move has been obviously a really important one as well. And I got to give uh, my guy X2 uh, DA4 out there a big shout out the last time we had this notebook review, which was uh, two weeks ago. So appreciate that kind of patience during a little late summer hiatus, but uh, the batteries have been recharged here by this guy. Uh, um, and one of the, the things that he brought up was sort of, you know, what, what's a trade that um, if you didn't make, you really need to go back and, and review um review sort of your process or the decisions around that and to me in the last two weeks it's it was the oil trade uh so if you kind of pull up a chart on on crude oil it, it sort of uh you know had that pull back um back to what was it kind of the 70 you know high 70 78 79 range um around you know that uh, august 23rd 24th 25th level and and really sort of held right so it held um you know it kind of had that pullback over the course of sort of a week and a half, two week period, and then and then held. So if you kind of didn't, um, and Keith kind of added it actually on that Monday, the twenty eighth. I think he was adding some to XLE, if uh, if memory serves in the in the uh, Mucker Family Office account. So you know if you if you kind of you know if you were proactive there and added um, on that sort of red day, or once it sort of found its footing, kind of in the in, in the kind of high seventy nine range. That was uh, that was a great great move, and that was certainly a trade that you, you should you know should have been been making. Um, today's session is all about kind of stagflation in the quad three environment that we find ourselves in um, at, the, at the moment. And you know, the from a stagflationary standpoint, you got uh, you know inflation really moving higher, right, and and growth growth lower. So um, you know, getting longer of components, uh, different components of energy, whether it be uranium, XLE, XOP. Uh, you know, precious metals is one that we've been adding to as well. And silver got added to the board this week um, as well. Uh, so kind of some of these commodity and CRB complex is uh, is a really, you know, a really good place to be putting your, your cash to work. But um, at the same time, I think that oil trade was really one that, or the energy trade in general was one uh, that was right there. And that's, that's following the the full cycles because you know if you go back to the tapes you know we added we added energy i think kind of some oil exposures um around uh around early to, to mid july to late july so really kind of the the start of the q3 period as keith alluded to in the early look this morning um and it was it didn't really give you a whole lot of opportunity certainly if you kind of just pull up the uh crude oil uh futures chart cl1 until this most recent pullback in, in late August. So that was, uh, if you kind of miss, if you quote, quote, miss that run to use the more common terminology, uh, that that's a place where you could have been adding, adding to it and, and taking advantage of sort of an, an opportunity. Um, so again, I think that's just, I just want to kind of call that out and make sure that everybody within Hedge Nation kind of either, 
uh, reevaluates their exposure to the energy complex um, and or reevaluates kind of what they did in late August there uh, going into uh, kind of, yeah, it, it, you know, post that sort of uh, that pullback. So I'll, uh, I'm going to call up you know, Loftus. Yeah, a lot of friendly faces. I'm going to invite Loftus. Uh, George, you jump up to Bud. Uh, Pistilli, you still in the crowd? I don't know. Oh, uh, there you are. Um, perfect. So going to invite a few guys up here. Uh, we can keep kind of running through the gamut, but um, again, you know, we've talked a lot the last couple of months about, you know, felt like a broken record in regards to, uh, you know, the correlation and or the importance of tracking the dollar volatility rates complex um, and really has volatility across the board, whether it be the VIX, the VIX and uh, the move index, which finds itself back up close to 110, uh, and, and as well as from a, from a um, commodity standpoint, the OVX and GVZ as well. So that'd be OVX for crude oil and GVZ for um, <clears throat> for gold. So uh, you know how are those all interacting? Uh, I think the interesting component and in the big change from two weeks ago on the VIX, uh, which have been up at uh, call it kind of that 18 range. Before I took a little bit of holiday, or call it whatever, call it uh, mid 17, 17, 16 range when it kind of made that move. We're now back um, back under 15, uh, although today it's been a pretty significant move in the VIX. And uh, and that is an interesting dynamic, right? So, you know, over the course of the last two week period, uh, vol suppression has occurred. Uh, who really cares why it happens or, or what's causing it? Or uh, I've seen a few. So, you know, kind of tweets out there, or I guess maybe posts to use the proper X terminology. Uh, some posts in regards to, okay, are you looking at the VIX or the VX? Um, you know, 30 day VIX doesn't really matter anymore. And again, to give Chris Moyer a thousand RFX a massive shout out, you know, to sort of, uh, I certainly incorporate the VIX 90 and the VIX 1D on, on my screen. And if you, uh, the global macro watch list is available uh, for anybody to to have on on TradingView. I make that. Um, I think you can just grab it off of uh, my profile. But if you can't find it, then please just DM me, and I'll 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 uh, make sure you get it. But my point is, is that um, all this should be part of your process, right? Looking at the thirty day, even the three months, the nine day, the one day, in regards to VIX, and how are they kind of uh, intertwined with each other? And and again, you you're seeing a pop here. Um, in, in the VIX, but we're still uh, sub 15. And, you know, could that be something, you know, we're seeing some, sort of some some lower highs in regards to the top end of the risk range um, on that VIX. And, and and therefore, you know, what's, you know, uh, on an immediate term basis, that's sort of driving, um, yes, so that, that, that's likely driving some decision making from Keith seeing that top end come in from uh, a week or so ago from the kind of like 18 range down to 17 spot 8 8 today you know it is neutral it, it is a neutral trend at the moment and then that low end of the risk range down at 13 spot 03 on the VIX so you know that would be that 1303 um, would be a, a new and a recent low um, I believe yeah that closing low was uh, 1308 um, from uh, from Friday from September 1st so that 1303 is important and the fact that it is a kind of you know would would put in a, a, a one I think that's a one month. Let me just add that indicator real quick. Um, don't always have it on. 
Yeah, so that would be a so if we could get down to the bottom of the risk range, which would be below Friday's close, you would get a you know, you get a new one month low, um, and that three month low is down at twelve spot nine zero, so not very far uh, below that thirteen oh three number from the low end of the risk range today. So again, all these things, um, it's 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 a complicated game, um, but sort of tracking or kind of having a a way to uh, having a way to just sort of navigate the the nuances of the global markets is, is really important. Um, so the, the dollar itself, uh, Keith's been kind of uh, begging uh, or talking about this on the macro show, certainly this week and and really the last few weeks, but uh, you know, harping on mainstream media in regards to the dollar being dead back in July, uh, late July to where we are today, and it's breaking out to uh, new one month and three month highs. So um, big kind of change there in the dollar. It's been... A uh, great place to have your your assets, and again, you know, think about it. Um, you know, you don't necessarily have to have UUP on in your portfolio if you're holding cash. You're in your in here in the U.S. You're holding U.S. dollars uh, regardless. So, therefore, um, you know, again, you know, that is an asset allocation. That is a decision that you're making. You know, how much cash do you have at hand? How are you deploying that cash? Are you putting it in T bills like Keith did last week, going into month end, so he get that dividend check? Are you putting it in something of his equivalent of the FDRXX, right? To get a month to get that, you know, five percent kind of money market um, aggregate interest rate over the course of the month, right? So, like, you know, how what are you doing with the cash? That's a decision for you to make. Uh, I know George, um, who also runs an RA, he is uh, he's a big fan of BFIX uh, for for a while. And I think that's uh, that's another uh, potential place to be putting your cash rate. So that's uh, an interest rate hedge, and it's certainly been a great performer over the course of the last uh, two months or since kind of you know late July. And and again, that also does pay uh, a little bit of a dividend, not a big one, uh, but certainly uh, it does pay out ten cents on an eighty dollar um, stock or ETF. So, um, so yeah, so just uh, keeping all that in mind, I think that is really important to understand kind of you know your cat what you're doing with your cash and cash decisions that you're making um you know they don't necessarily again as i said they don't necessarily have to be in a uup but if you're holding us dollars you have that allocation uh but then how do you can you try to maximize that allocation you know the shorter end uh, you know as i said keith went with t-bill you could um you could go into uh, you know treasuries themselves whether it be you know one three months six months treasuries uh you can do that from treasury direct that was kind of i think a question that I saw up on Twitter in the last uh, week or so, somebody asked, like, how do you, how do you get like rate exposure, or how do you buy, you know, treasuries? And uh, so the main thing is, uh, you can do that through Treasury Direct. Again, this is not investment advice, but uh, just to help you out, you can do it through Treasury Direct, uh, and you can buy those shorter end of the of the um, yield curve, uh, so that you, if you don't want to, have, you know, just buy T bill stuff like that. Um, so yeah, just one kind of touch base there. Uh, the rates environment and certainly this inflation uh, that we're seeing in the last month. Uh, and again, just as a reminder, I think we touched base on this on the macro show last week, but uh, you know, that CPI number that we got on Thursday, I guess it was, was from July. So we're going to have a whole new number coming up um, in September here for, or sorry, I guess a couple weeks. So it's, I think it's going to be, yeah, I guess, or October. Um, no, September. September, I think it's in like a week or two uh, for uh, the August number. Um, so we're going to get that August number. 
And it's going to look a lot different, I think, from from what we saw in July, just where given what's transpired across commodity complex in the last month or so. Uh, so that really drives home the you know, higher for longer uh, and the fact that we are we're, we remain in that camp. Uh, we continue to see a quad four environment in Q4 and then back-to-back uh, quad threes, I believe it is. And let me just double check that from the most recent data. But um, yeah, so uh, quad four in Q4 and then quad threes in Q1 and Q2. Uh, the interesting call out here in regards to uh, something that changed over the course of the last two weeks uh, from the last notebook review is that Q3 here in 23 is now in the Nowcast model a quad one with a, a little over a 50, you know, 50 spots, 7% conditional probability and quad four uh, moving down to 35.3% probability. So um, again, that uh, that has changed. So what's uh, so if we see this kind of continue to to roll out in, in the rest of this quarter, okay, the rest of this month uh, remains intact in regards to where the growth and inflation numbers uh, we're, we're forecasting are coming in. Uh, we're actually going to start year in 23 with uh, three quad ones and then moving to a quad four environment in in um, in, quad, in Q4 of, of this year. So again, this is, uh, you know, Jonesy mentioned it on the macro show this morning in regards to a big GDP number, um, which the Atlanta Fed is certainly forecasting, which is up uh, north of five and a half percent. Now we're currently sitting at about four and a quarter on a QSAR uh, projection standpoint. You know that uh, that just means you got a massive comp. You know the following quarter, and, and you can see a you know what was looking like kind of a bit more of a uh, sort of shallow quad four uh, turn it could potentially turn into a bit more of a, of a deeper quad four. Um, now again, time will tell, and the numbers as we get the numbers, you know our data and knockout model will continue to update. But just wanted to call that out since it was something new on the board from two weeks ago. Uh, all right. So we've gone over a few uh, dollar volatility uh, rates environment, our now cast model. Uh, kind of hit on on the main things that I wanted to touch base on. I think uh, I guess lastly, and I did tweet this out in terms of uh, some of the data that was coming out of Europe. You know that uh, that data is just continues to weaken. So European recessionary environment uh, continues to be a yeah, just uh, I think you're, you're seeing it kind of roll roll over in regards to uh, whether it be the DAX or the FTSE, you know, the Cat um, even the even the FTSE um, and the F, uh, sorry, the FSXE, um, which would be the the stocks fifty index. You know, that's all uh, starting to roll over here and start and is uh, trying or looks like it. You know, certainly the FSXE um, is trying to. Uh, Put in new one month to three month lows. Now that happened uh, about a week ago, or sorry, two weeks ago on the twenty eighteenth is the official low, but we are basically right right above that number. So uh, keep an eye on that. And I think if you get, if you do see some continued uh, you know, weakness there and or strengthening dollar, you know, weaker euro, uh, there could be a lot further down um, and a lot more downside risk uh, to that to those uh, equity environments. And markets themselves. I think that's probably some of the best shorts on the boards at the moment would be within Europe and continuing to stay with uh, the Chinese shorts as well and, and remaining with our long Japan and long India exposures. So 
This is, uh, yeah, so just kind of wanted to touch base quickly on a little bit of the global global markets as well. If anybody want to jump up, I think I did ask, uh, I don't know if I went through. Hey, other side, just John X2, a little thousand era effects coming in from the UK. Bozeman, my man, I gotta just, you know, I'm gonna just invite a lot of people up. Let's just see what happens. Let's get a conversation rolling. Um, are my invites going through to you? Give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Or you can just invite, there we go. XTs is requesting the chat. X2, how you doing? What's up, Robert? Good. How you doing? Good, good. I'm great. Uh, so sorry, X2. Um, you know, other side, Tim, you know, Loftus, I did invite you, so maybe there's something happening with uh, with Twitter at the moment. Um, but yeah, if you guys want to jump up and, and chat, by all means, uh, just request to speak and we can we will make that happen. Uh, X2, how you doing, man? Back to you. Uh, good. I heard you talking about the dollar. Robert McGordy here, Director of Subscriber Development at Hedgeye. Hope you're enjoying our podcast. Start generating alpha with our suite of Sector Pro investing research products. Dive deep into retail, industrials, technology, and everything in between with exclusive access to the sharpest analysts and actual ideas on Wall Street. Go to hedgeye.com forward slash research to subscribe. Enjoy the rest of this episode. Yeah, sorry, I'm just having a little water. Um, yes, sir. The dollar. Trade. Yeah, it's been a great trade. And I know you love trading the euro. X2. I've been having some issues. I've yeah. been having some issues too, Robert. I've been on and off, on and off. Oh, really? Weird. Okay. Can you hear me okay, though, uh, other side? Yeah, I can hear you fine. It's just been bouncing me on and off. I don't know why. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's the it's the man, the overlord. The overlord is out to get you. I'm, I'm sure my account's probably uh, <laughs> uh, shot and a handful of different places. So it very well could <laughs> Um, so how you doing, man? You haven't been on in, in a while on the side, so just wanted to, I guess you probably, well, I know you just, uh, you published your monthly last week, which, uh, we love to remind everybody to go read cause it's a fantastic, fantastic piece of, of writing, but how, how are you, how are you kind of navigating these markets in, uh, for your clients these days? I'm still being cautious. Um, I'm trying to be patient as well. Um, I have uh, published the monthly. Uh, I, I I still have I have a lot of cash. Or when I say a lot of cash, a lot of short term items. Uh, you know, clipping five percent roughly. Um, I I do have a little bit of the. Um, I haven't been on in a long time, so I don't know what you guys have talked about, but I, I do own a little bit of the uh, tech that is green um, and and uh, possibly for that quad three exposure, right? Your Googles, which have the, the pod one accelerations, the Googles that, that Keith's talked about. Um, 
that are still green on the list. I do still have my gold position on, but it's it's small. Um, uh, I don't know. I've just been cautious. I, I think we're at a we're at an interesting spot right now with uh, the gamma bands. Gamma being negative right now, heading into uh, you know a possible probable quad four. Um, I understand what the what the uh, I understand what you just talked about in terms of a quad uh, quad one uh, with a, a quad four looming, and then a couple quad threes in the background. Um, you know the the uh, last year. We weren't expecting the quad four until Q2 and then January, you know, end of December, January was, was a disaster. So these things can pull forward. Um, I think anybody who listened to the tier one alpha conversation from yesterday, um, these exogenous shocks can happen, right? So while, while I don't know when it happens, my guess is most likely around uh, a deterioration in labor as you, myself, and and uh, Thousand Air FX has, uh, have discussed the passive bid being around the labor markets, and as people fall out of labor markets and can't really participate in their 401ks, uh, you see a correlation to equity market sell-offs or significant equity market sell-offs. I think I put that in a monthly like three-plus months ago. So, you know, I'm still playing it from the passive bid side exists, but at the same time, uh, the labor market is deteriorating. My last note talked about the labor market deteriorating um, much more rapidly than advertised, right? Um, 585,000 full-time jobs lost June over July. Um, and they were replaced by, you know, 900 plus thousand part-time jobs with 118,000 multiple, uh, multiple working jobs. So, you know, it's one of those things where you know that um, you know that full time job. Those who have full time jobs have a higher income, consume more. It's it's fairly straightforward, and you're getting multiple jobs because you can't make ends meet. And I've had a handful of conversations with uh, clients. Some of them saying, "That's me, right?" Um, a teacher, a, a teacher client of mine said, "That's me. That's literally me and most of my friends," um, as I described it to her as she's looking to buy a house and her, you know, from her renting, current renting her, uh, she can't afford a double in what she would be paying. So it, it's, it's hitting the consumer. It's hitting the consumer hard. It's just bleeding through. Um, you just have to look for it. I put you to sleep. No, no, I just, it's just sad. <laughs> it's, it's but I mean you but still make money in open markets can go up right market go up right you could you could still have markets up on this passive bid and everybody's wondering why you know where why hasn't it collapsed and well you still have the passive bid but eventually that passive bid gives way as people get fired and you know uh, the more people get fired the more people need money I think in that same note I talked about the number of people who are now taking emergency funds from their 401ks. Yeah, do you think it's up like they changed that six percent? They changed they changed that ruling, I think, right? Um the government did. You can you can well, let, you can borrow 
what's that? Maybe not change, but they, I think they increased the, the dollar amount, right? Because you can take out like a thousand or three thousand dollars, I think, uh, a year as a special kind of like loan. I'm, but yeah, I'm butchering what it's actually called, but yeah, I think so. At the same time, that's less, you know, that's less what they're doing more just taking more money borrowing against their 401k because they need the money right mm. so um i think the number was thir- up 36 percent year over year i think it was um which it's not a huge number from the standpoint of sixteen thousand versus the pool of 401ks that exist but as every hedge eye guy knows a uh, guy gal right um as we all know it's not about the level, it's about the rate of change. So more and more people are pilfering their 401ks because they don't have money, right? Student loan thing coming coming online in, in a handful of weeks. So it's it's all what you know, Hedge Eyes talked about regarding the consumer. The, the question mark becomes, you know, the market dynamics currently. And, you know, we see that through the passive investing and we see that through the gamma and, and through the options markets and the zero DPEs. So now it becomes an, an exercise in risk managing until you have some type of exogenous shock. And I don't know when it is, but when you have this, this many companies that need to refinance at rates where they currently are, you're going to have a problem in the future. How near or far? I don't know. So. So we're just going to play it with our uh, trailing stops, capital preservation strategies, and, and go from there. Hi, Robert McGordy here, Director of Subscriber Development at Agile. Join our entire research analyst team live before the market opens for deep dive investing analysis, our favorite stock ideas, and our risk manager-in-chief, Keith McCullough's macro overlay. Our team of 40-plus equity analysts discuss key market developments, trends, and our high-conviction, long-and-short investing ideas. You will not get this granular level of insight anywhere else. A video replay, audio version, and analyst summary notes from the call are available shortly after each live show to ensure you don't miss anything. Go to hedgeye.com forward slash research to subscribe. And tune in live to the call weekdays at 7.45 a.m. Eastern. Enjoy the rest of this episode. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks, other side, uh, and you know, very wise words as usual. Loftus, how you doing? Yep. Yeah, I can. Awesome. Thanks for jumping up. Sure, this is better than any podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm winding down at that point. After probably playing a little bit of golf and yeah, so uh, yeah. So 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 let me. Um, you know, listen to Mitchell. I, I guess you know a couple things. One, um, you know, I live in a beach community in Delaware. Okay, um, and so over the last four or five weeks, I've just been getting out, talking to people, and seeing people at my liquor store where I get all my stuff. Uh, way off. Like everyone is buying down. Um, you know, I I like bourbon. I collect a lot of bourbon. Like nobody's buying the high end stuff. Um, I've got a client who owns a restaurant. Oh, way off. Okay. Um, where I take my boat, there's this little place, uh, a little restaurant I go to. 30% people there on a Sunday afternoon when it's 
85 and sunny. Right next to that is a uh, park for uh, campers and things like that. And it's always mopped. And this year, like the front row, which is kind of, you know, the higher end row, there's 15 premium spots. I've been seeing five taken a week. So that just tells you what's really happening with the consumer. I mean, there's no doubt that it's it's out there. Um, and I think that, you know, we talked about it. I'm sure we'll hear about it on Keith's call Friday. The lag effect of these interest rate hikes are really starting to hit. You know, there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, and then, of course, you've got the uh, loans, right? Um got some student loans for my kids. I got three kids in college last year. Y'all can imagine what that cost. Um, and it's a big number that, you know, my, you know, my monthly, you know, I mean, again, I may able to handle it, but I'm just saying it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I saw an article the other day, 45% of the people that are, are going to restart the loans think they're going to default. So I think that's number one, right? This, this whole facade that the consumer is strong is just not there. And I don't see it at all in this community. We saw people here this summer. Oh, and the other thing is, I've got a client that runs the number one um, rental shop here. It big firm, off 30% year over year. So there's just so much, you know, that's just being here, looking around and seeing what's happening. And then we can, of course, look at all the data we've got, you know, in the last week with PCE and consumer confidence and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I think for me, uh, you know, very similar, um, you know, I'm still pretty conservative. I look at my model right now. Uh, I've got 22% in uh, FDR XX. Then I've got ultra short bond funds that are paying five and a quarter to 5.7. That's another 25%. Um, my largest holdings right now is oil. Um, I broke that up. I, you know, as an advisor, clients hate K1s. So um, I did not buy USO or uh, UGA because I just didn't want to deal with that. I did buy, if anyone's looking for something without a K1, PDBC. It's an Invesco uh, diversified commodity strategy, which has done nice. I have XLP, XLAXOP. I also bought Oxy, OXY. Uh, Occidental, which is uh, done really well. We're not all getting hit a little bit today, so that's that's been really that's really. And of course, uranium, which I've you know, like, gosh, I just wish I had more of that. Um, you know, I'm I don't I had got just a couple inverses on right now, which are RWM and SJB. You mentioned that about credit. Now, that's one thing I you know maybe someone else can jump in on this. I am really surprised at the credit market just not been affected yet like what's happening the spread they're just not there you would think at this point everything you're hearing bankruptcies today right biggest biggest jump in history in august on bankruptcies with corporations um why is that not so so mike mike what you have to remember is the vast majority of the bonds are held by passive as well right so when when people are wondering what's going on in the credit markets. The credit markets are still deteriorating, but the passive elders are still holding on to it. It it you know, go back to, you know, circa twenty seventeen, twenty eighteen when Toys R Us couldn't get funding and they 
went from 96 cents on the dollar to 26 cents on the dollar in 24 to 36 hours, right? So it's, it's, you're not going to see it in credit. I mean, you'll see it slowly, 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 but you're not going to see it in credit until you start to have a handful of these downgrades from triple B to, to double B, in which case it's going to force some of these passives to sell a la 2020 when Ford was downgraded and the entire market blew up. And that's when the Fed started buying junk bonds, backdating it two weeks. You know, I've said this story numerous times. They, they backdated it two weeks, which happened to be two days before Ford uh, was downgraded because the market couldn't absorb $250 billion. When I say the market, the high-yield market couldn't absorb $250 billion of debt. It was only a $1.1 trillion market at the time. So again... These passive flows have a these passive holdings, these you know HYGs or, or uh, JNKs. They they are much more subject to these exo- exogenous events like uh, like um, Mike Green talks about as the um, how can I phrase it? It's more of a structural scenario. And and until we see that structural event and those downgrades, you probably aren't going to see what we think should happen, in my opinion. No, I mean, I would agree with everything you said. It just, I'm just surprised it hasn't happened. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, you keep seeing it. So, you know, I, I, but I, I, I think, you know, as Keith says, right, risk happens, you know, a little bit and it all at once. So I think that. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Hey, Mitch. Mitch, this is John Pastillier. How you doing? Hey, I think your uh, discussion and your, your, your explanation of, you know, the high credit, high yield market was phenomenal. I mean, I made a lot of money in that in 08. And I sat on it and sat on it for freaking ever. And then the payout literally happened in weeks. So, so we're sitting here with SJB as well. At a three percent position, but man, I'm dying to take that into a real meaningful position. But nice job, Mitch. That was a good, good description. I appreciate it, John. I mean, I so years ago, and I'm talking years ago, uh, 2018. I wrote about the passive uh, scenario in in passive bond markets, and and I called it um, the piece that I wrote. I called Moab, mother of all bombs, not mother of all bubbles, like Keith does. Um, and the, the reality is, is if you look at the structure of how these things are made, they're, they're, they're made based upon creation units and redemption units. So isn't actually the under... Hey, Mitch, I think we lost you there for a minute. Yeah. At least the demon went off, so we know he buckled up before he hit the road. <laughs> but I'm sure he'll come back. He's probably just in the dead zone. Uh, Pastilli, why don't um, listen? I know uh, you own a ton, or I won't say a ton, but you are a uh, you have big opportunity in the precious metal space, and kind of certainly have taken advantage of that since November when we made the pivot here at Hedge Eyes. So. How how have you been playing, um, or kind of what what kind of decisions have you been making in the last 
you know, call it, I guess, like really month and a half um, in terms of, you know, this, this sort of uh, recent, um, you know, pullback, we, you know, from, from Keith's perspective and our perspective, we'd call it kind of certainly a, a buying opportunity, but, but not, you know, not all at once and not, uh, uh, not at any price either. So just kind of curious kind of how you've been navigating that with your clients. Yeah, sure. Um, so for me anyway, I've been very tame when it, can, when it comes to gold and miners and silver. At Right now, we're at about a 4% allocation of gold, zero to silver, and two and a half, three to miners. So historically, when we get involved in, in gold, we've done it in a very big way. And, and one of the things I was telling Jonesy when we were out there in Connecticut was, I truly appreciate those risk ranges because it allows me to be a lot more tactical and frankly, make more money by trading it. So right now we're, we're fairly minimal in, in our, in our positioning. Um, you know, the good old days prior to edge, I would take that sector to 70, 80% at times. Um, so, so being as small as we are, has worked, right? Because it really hasn't done much here, call in the last month and a half. It's kind of gone up and down across its risk ranges. And that's all we've done. We played the risk ranges on it. Now, having said all that, I think the setup is going to be spectacular. Uh, I'm getting real antsy to really buy a lot of gold. And what I'm waiting for, frankly, is is a 10-year to hit the top end of its range. And the minute I see that, I'll go from, you know, four to 10 in a hurry. Um, so historically, quad threes have been incredible for gold. That's literally where I've made my entire net worth is is playing quad three gold uh, in a big way. And I think that setup is dead ahead of us. So I'm watching it very carefully. I'm using those risk ranges a lot more aggressively. And what I'm starting to do now, guys, is is rather than, you know, go up and down by half a point or 1%, I'm getting a lot larger in my trades. So when it hits the bottom end or when the uh, 10-year hits, when if and when it hits the top end of its yield range and the risk range and gold, more than likely will be, well, it's almost there now, the bottom end of its range. You know, I'll quickly go from four to 10 instead of four to four and a half to five to five and a quarter. What I'm finding is we got to get a lot more aggressive in positioning and putting real money to work and then quickly taking it out when, when you know, you start going back down from the top end of the range. So that's what we're doing. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised at some point if I've got, you know, 15 to 20% in the sector. And especially as we get closer to this quad three setup, oh my God, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. You know, if you're one of these money guys and you're worried about the dollar, you know, crypto is pretty much in the penalty house. What are you going to do? I mean, there's really not many places to go here. You can short the markets, you know, but at some point folks are going to need an alternative to financial assets and, and gold's still hated. It's always hated. It seems like, and it's fairly under owned. And the rest of the world is is pivoting to gold in a really big way. So the physical demand is off the charts. If you physically try to go buy gold, you're going to find that even in the U.S., it's fairly tight. Inventories are tight. Premiums, last I checked, were, were crazy high. They probably come down a little since. That was probably about two months ago I checked. Um, so anyway, so that that's kind of us in gold. 
Um, but right now, frankly, we're really sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I apologize. I, I probably I, I think I got cut off in terms of my uh, my my speaker went out. But uh, in terms of gold and I'm not questioning the back test, I'm, I'm more so asking a question. Why gold? Why does gold or why do you think gold performs well in quad three when in quad three rates still move higher? Because you got growth decelerating and you, and you got inflation rising, so it's a perfect setup for for owning the metal, right? So if your inflation is rising, that's usually a negative indicator on your currency. Right. And when when GDP declines and that inflation spikes, I mean that's really the caveat to making gold run. And if you notice, the gold dollar relationship is is kind of pivoted, is, is turned. So that's out of the way. So the, really, the only game left to keeping gold from going totally nuts is rates, to your point, right? But you get to a point where gold doesn't care about rates or the dollar. It just goes. Um, and that's what quad three, that's usually where I see it is in quad three. Thank you. So, so I was I was making the other comment that in terms of our overall allocation, we're incredibly defensive. So right now we probably have seventy percent in short term T bills. You know, so you're getting that five plus yield. Um, we've got index shorts with all three indices as well as SJB. So that's probably another tenish percent of what we got. And we're only long, you know, really small sectors, right? The gold, I mean, oil, gold, uh, India. Japan, you know, UUP, the dollar, and that's about. So on a day like this, you know, we're we're barely moving. Hi, I'm Keith McCullough, and I wanted to introduce you to my favorite product at Hedgeye, the Macro Show. Why is it my favorite product? Well, it's my show. I do that every morning. If you want to get ready for the market day, you want to contextualize all the data, you want to make good decisions, then this is what you should be watching. It's a repeatable process that you can deliberately study, measuring and mapping time series to time series of data. So it's not going headline to headline and getting whipped around. It's actually being so much more dispassionate about it and making good decisions that are data-driven. So we'd love to have you on our team. Come join us. Tune in weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern and on demand anytime. Go to hedgeye.com slash research to subscribe. Yeah, and I think, and Mitchell, I mean, one of the other things too is that if you look at like real rates, so gold and, and real, like so gold size is basically on an 80% inverse correlation to real rates. Um, and so from this move that we've seen for November of 2022, we we basically are flat on real rates. I mean, we've got from again, just like in terms of like <clears throat> where you know where we started uh, in terms of where gold started picking up steam was basically real rates were trading about one point eight, um, and then and we're we're basically right around, we're at one point seven nine. Technically, it's one point eight one, and, and we're at one point seven nine as of as of yesterday's uh, closing prices. And, and gold has gone from you know just above seventeen hundred at that point to. Uh, you know, where we are today around, or, you know, where it closed yesterday around, call it 19, 1945 or so. Um, so I think that's that's a big thing. And, and in that environment, you know, on the big run up, you know, we've basically, uh, up until most recently, kind of call it July, you know, real rates had dropped all the way down to, 
you know, 1.2-ish range, 1.2, 1.2, yeah, call it 1.22. Um, so there was a, you know, what was a 50-ish delta there, uh, 50, 55, um, you know, percent delta on the, on the interest rate, which, on the real rates, excuse me, which, which does really help uh, buoy that, that um, you know, the gold price. And if you kind of, and then, and then go back, so you go back to more of like, a, you know, stagflation or sorry, to, to that quad three environment where what we had, I think it was back in, what was it? That was uh, 2020. Um, I think it was, wasn't it? Uh, Fiscally where we had, yeah, yeah. 2020. Yep. Um, you kind of saw a, a similar, a similar construct occur where you had, you know, real rates at that time were negative, uh, but they dropped from, you know, negative 0.4 down to negative, uh, you know, negative four negative one uh and that was that and and that 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 had that pretty big run up in um oh sorry that was 2021 uh, 2020 S- similar basically thing um but basically that the, the real rates environment or the real rates in tracking that really does help in conjunction obviously with the with ranges that, that that's a really good point the real rates are are what do it but Mitchell, what I was really describing is when you get to the mania phase. So when gold, the psychology in gold is phenomenal in that it's the only asset that's that moves based on fear and greed. And by that, I mean gold really goes nuts when you start getting real nervous about the system, right? You start getting real nervous about stocks, right? Bonds. So, so gold, when it really takes off, it's because you're buying it because you're fearful of the system and you want a different asset class that's effectively outside the system. And then that price move brings in the momentum players, the greed guys, right? And so that's why those gold bull markets are so powerful, the mania side of it, because you're coming at it from fear, which is a stronger emotion, and greed. That makes sense. Thank you. Uh, Mitchell, do you want to finish off your commentary on the high yield side of things before we lost you to the dead zone that is central north? Central if north you want Carolina. to tell me, <laughs> if you if you want to tell me where I left off, because I literally think I was talking for two minutes and I, I came back and I'm like, they didn't hear what I said. Uh, we did not. Where where. Where where did where did I leave? Basically, off? once you put on your seatbelt and the digging stopped. <laughs> uh, forget about it's not me exactly what I said. I don't know, dude. It was hard to hear you over the dinging. <laughs> so no, you were talking. Uh, you were talking about uh, what were you talking about? You were talking about. Uh, uh, Pistilli mentioned how your summary was very good, and, and then you were going to expand on that in terms of. I think we were talking, Facilely, help me out here. We, he was mentioning, uh, do you remember what he was saying? Well, he was mentioning the high yield. No, he was mentioning the high yield. Well, I, I think, I think, oh, uh, we had, sorry, Ford four bonds in the passive uh, older. Thank you. Yeah, I think what you were, I think what I was trying to get to or what I was alluding to when I cut out was, understanding exactly how these these etfs are are structured and and how they trade so in in many cases the underlying bonds aren't even traded so 
what what their their the redemption the, the creation units and redemption units of an ETF are typically what trade back and forth. And it's it's almost like trading paper to an extent where the underlying of the bonds don't even need to be traded until the redemption units outweigh the creation units, in which case then the underlying needs to be sold. So you could have, you know, you, you could basically have paper trading back and forth without needing to sell an actual bond itself. But what I was what I was also alluding to was that um when when you get to that situation or to that point where the creation units out or the redemption units outweigh the creation units and the underlying actually has to be sold, you can have scenarios where 10% of those those portfolios by prospectus are in illiquid securities. And illiquid securities are defined as securities which cannot be sold or liquidated in under seven days without severely adversely affecting the price of the of the uh, of the bond. So the product claims instant liquidity based upon again the structure and and these creation and redemption units. But when the shit hits the fan and you have more redemption units, you then have to liquidate the underlying. And in many cases, unless you get through, like once you get through the top 30 bonds that are actually liquid, the liquidity just dries up and X2 can talk to liquidity and bond markets, right? So, you know, you you can have things that don't trade for ages and 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 they need to be sold for the liquidity, but there is no liquidity there. So, that's why you can have these vacuums of these things sucked down all at one time. So where John is, is, you know, uh, uh, you know, working through this and why hasn't it happened? And, you know, Mike as well, Michael as well, you know, it's the, the all at once happens again because of structure. When these, when these investments, when the underlying securities and bonds in these investments need to be sold you can't find the buyers and then you have that massive drop which again is just like the ford you know the ford bond being downgraded from triple b to double b right that that fallen angel being so important and critical because everybody who owns that ford bond from an institutional level that by prospectus can only own investment grade paper then needs to sell it and you can't unload 2.5 or 250 billion dollars of that Ford bond back in 2020 into a market that's only 1.1 trillion in size. 20% of the market can't uh, uh, you you your entire market can't be absorbed or 20% of the market can't absorb that one bond without things getting absolutely smoked. The money just doesn't exist in that market unless it goes off to you know, private equity that that has funds set up specifically designed for that, and still they have, you know, uh, you know, buying parameters that that they can't go over certain limits, right? So, it, it again, it goes back similarly how we're talking market structure in terms of why markets are going up, and you know, the the ODTEs and the impact that that has. Market structure on the passive bond markets, in my opinion is and has always been more scary, which is why we wrote that note in uh, 2018. 
and nobody paid any mind to it. But it's exactly what happened in 2020, exactly to a T. Literally, Mitch, all it would take is for either AT&T, GE, or Ford to get downgraded and, you know, decently downgraded. Those three names are three names that I listed in that 2018 note, John. Yeah, exactly. I mean, those are the those are the big boys in the room, right? And and so, I watch AT and T pretty closely. It's like, man, if this thing goes, everything goes. <laughs> yeah, but and, and they're not the only ones. They're like seven right. or seven to ten. But even you just need a collective, right? I mean, if, if I re- you know back then, when or back in 2020, as I was, if I if my memory serves, you had, like, I I want to say the the kind of updated warning note that I put out before the the crash you had a bond market was about six and a half trillion the triple b level was hanging around three to 3.5 so you had nearly half the bond market sitting on that line sitting on the triple b line and you can't tell me for one second that these banks out there that these, you know, banks, that that these autos, that you can't tell me that with the consumer in the shape that they're in, I mean, how do you have as Moody's and Fitch, how do you downgrade seven banks when you got regional banks out there that are all in the same boat that are worse off today than they were before? And now they're taking loans from the BTFD program, which need to be paid back, and they're at high interest rates. I mean, it's it's just you're you're literally looking at and I don't want to say you're looking at an 0809 or an 070809 scenario, but you're looking at a scenario where the ratings agencies are complicit in this, where they're not doing what they need to do based upon the data that exists, in my opinion. It's not even close. All right, awesome. Thanks uh, for just getting that final thought out there, Mitchell. I appreciate it, buddy. It was good. I just wanted to kind of nod everyone to kind of out because I think it is really it's crucial. It's a crucial component. And Loftus, uh, it was a great call out in terms of just high yield and, and what it's doing and, and how it's functioning and, and um, all of the above, all of the commentary is actually spot on. Um, and I think just you know it remains it remains a core short uh, from a head drive perspective, and it's. And it's uh, in, in trading, you know, to leverage kind of what Pasuli was saying, you know, uh, trading it in tranches uh, within its uh, risk range band. And you get that every day, uh, both on a trend or, uh, sorry, you get that on the trade durations, I mean, term, and then on a trend duration within the ETF Pro. And I think both of those, uh, leveraging both of those risk ranges and where they sit, how they overlay, and what have you will give you a lot of ammo uh to make you know to try to make you know good decisions at the right time in conjunction and in, in, in conjunction oh. with uh to your point uh, you know where you know the, the the yields are trading right so you got kind of yields down at the low end of the risk range and, and high yield close to or above the top end of its risk range then that's that's a great time uh to execute or potentially execute i'll, I'll shut up i'll, I'll shut up oh, this, robert um it's very it, it's it's exactly what it's what Hedgeye talks about just with a slightly different slant. Keith talks about the machine. The passive indices are part of the machine. It's what Mike Green talks about uh, and, and Tier 1 Alpha with the machine. And, and as he said yesterday, how can you possibly be saying this? Like, we, like 
we write it ourselves, as he said yesterday. You know, we understand that this is very difficult to believe given the setup, right? But that's what that's what the structure of passive investing has done. I mean, I was introduced to Mike in 2019, 2020-ish, but I wrote that piece before I knew who Mike was. And the, the one time I, or the few times that I've spoke with Mike beforehand, Mike was not doing a ton of work on the bond, the passive bond market. Subsequently, he has, and obviously his work is brilliant. So, but it's, it's just, it's all the machine, but at the same time where things happen slowly and then all at once, it happens all at once for a reason because the system breaks, the system can't handle this. And we'll, uh, my guess is we'll see it as these bonds need to be repriced because bonds have a maturity and they can't just keep pushing things out. So where a loan can be extended, like like MPW extended their, you know, had their line extended uh, a year or so ago, right? They had that line of credit extended. In this scenario, the bond market's not like that. A bond either matures and is paid off and re- reissued uh, at a different rate level, or it's not. That's that's either you know that's the difference between solvency and insolvency. It's the difference between a bond going bankrupt or not. So. So, so Mitch, to your point again, I mean, think of how much debt in the last, call it half dozen years, has been issued as, you know, one, two, three percent. That's unsustainable, right? So now these bonds are coming due and they're repricing at market rates. And a lot of these companies just are going to disappear. They can't make yeah. it work at seven or eight or nine. Yeah. I so, so to me, I, I mean, I mean, I just. I try to keep this as simple as possible. It's like we issued trillions of paper across all companies, individuals, whatever, at rates of almost zero. And to think yep. that you could survive this when rates reprice, you got to be, you know, kind of delusional. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, a, a different piece in 2018 that I wrote about it was, it, it was more so. If you did this in in stages, right? If this was done in stages, then you'd have a much better chance. And when I say this, I mean when the when the the Fed held rates at zero. If you had a handful of companies that refinanced at zero and and bonds were issued at zero for a year, year and a half, two years, cool, no harm, no foul. What we talked about back in 2018, 2017, 2018 is the length of time that the Fed held rates at zero, literally allowed everybody from their mother, brother, you know, municipality, federal governments, local governments, you know, states, everybody refinanced at those low levels, right? Sovereign, sovereign governments. I mean, at the time we were joking about how anybody would issue Argentina a, a, a century bond when they went bankrupt nine times in fifty the last 56 years. I mean, it allowed everybody to refinance at near dirt cheap levels, right? So now you've come across a scenario where I think the scenario that we used back then was, you know, if you actually took that money and used that money to build something which would generate a much greater revenue stream, then you're okay. But that's not what any that's not what people did. People took a twenty thousand dollar loan. For it, for example, we use this simple interest twenty thousand dollars at one percent. You know, is is what? You know, think think about the interest rate on it. I, I 
I think the I think the what what it worked out to was twenty thousand. Um, you could borrow a hundred grand at one percent, like you could twenty thousand at four percent or five percent, right? It, it it's it was the same thousand dollar payment, right? So people would just go out and buy a car or go out and buy something that did absolutely no good to to generate revenue, but at the end of the day, they put five times the amount of leverage on their books. And that's what we're looking at. We're looking at an over-leveraged society that's exponentially worse off than we were four and a half, five years ago. And now people are choking on this cost of capital. And like Mike Green pointed out, 93% of the companies in the high-yield space, if forced to refinance between now and 2024, would be bankrupt, cash flow negative, right? So, you know, right now they're solvent, but if they have to re reprice at 12 to 13 percent they're they're done because they borrowed at four to five percent but they can't afford 12 to 13 percent which is where rates are now yeah we got the worst of both worlds mitch because we've got people have maxed out the amount of borrowings and now the cost of that borrowing is going up exponentially correct i, I mean i saw an article and, and i've been on a, i've been on the Stansbury Investor podcast a couple times. So I, I have respect for the Stansbury guys, but one of their guys, I can't remember who it was, uh, but he wrote a, a he wrote a piece that talked about uh, uh, credit being uh, the amount of credit or the amount of money on a credit card in today's world in, in excess of a trillion is a good thing because the millennials think they can afford it. And I just, I'm literally reading this, pulling out my hair going, you got to be kidding me. I mean, it's one of it. It's one of the most irresponsible pieces I've read, and I can't tell you how long. If they could afford it, they would have paid it down in the first quarter. If they could afford it, you wouldn't have 60 percent of people not able to afford a four hundred dollar, uh, four hundred dollar emergency. Or I think it's now forty forty six percent are comfortable. Or I, I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but I, I wrote it in one of my notes. I, hey, Mitch, Mitch, listen, listen to this story though. About a year ago. The interactive broker guys are trying to talk to us into moving our book of business over to them. And one of the things he was telling us to entice us to do it, he said, listen, our margin rates are sub 1%. You know, we have clients that are pulling a million dollars, $2 million off their portfolios and buying homes with it because the interest rate's so low. And I just like, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> seriously? Can you imagine a margin call on your house in the middle of a market? crash what a beautiful way to mismanage your net worth so you and i could talk about this literally all day it's probably not what everybody on here wants to chat about but i i mean it, it's a scenario that i don't see a good outcome i i just i don't i don't see how i don't know what i don't know what they're trying to do what the powers to be are trying to do i don't know if they're trying like, I don't want to get conspiratorial. I don't know if they're trying to crash a system. I don't know if they're trying to go to digital currency. I have no idea what they're trying to do, but they're, they can't be this dumb. Like, I, I don't know if they're just going to change, you know, give people access, give everybody and their mother access to cheap loans and then, you know, watch everything, you know, ex uh, balloon again in terms of, you know, inflation just through the roof. They're, they're literally painted into a corner as can be painted into a corner because, Whatever they do, it's a bad outcome in the way I see it maneuvering. Now, if they do give everybody cheap loans, 
well, we know how to position our books. It's all in, right? I mean, if they're just going to give everybody cheap loans and throw trillions at the markets, well, asset prices are going to inflate, inflation's back, and the people are screwed again. So I, if they don't and they really fight it, and we're going to have mass bankruptcies all over the place, unemployment through the roof, and it, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world because ultimately, at the end of the day, you need a default cycle just like forest fires need to burn in order to create new growth, right? You need it, but it's going to be a painful time period. You you can't do this without some pain somewhere. I just don't know how they fix it and how quickly they fix it. Um, I don't know. Now you, now you go. Now you got. Now you got. Now you got Mother Nature, and uh, <laughs> now you're now we're going to get shadow banned by the by. My global warming side of Twitter too, uh, Mitchell. We need to comment on forest fires. On that note, I'll say to anybody who's listening. No, but with speaking of inflation and commodities, uh, one of the reasons why, well, many reasons why I wanted to bring Tim up here was because uh, it is excellent and, and one of the beauties of Agile Nation is that we have folks from kind of all over the country, the world, um, all different uh, sorts of fields, whether it's uh, running their own business or, or working within um, a certain sector, et cetera, et cetera. And so, so Tim, I don't know if you can chat right now, but if we can, I'd love to just get sort of a bit, bit of a boots on the ground um, you know, view from, from you in terms of what's, what's transpiring in the you know, oil and gas uh, arena. Yeah, sure. Welcome. Uh, I'd be happy, happy to share. Uh, yes, you know, in the broader market, it's kind of interesting to me that so many things, because we bounced around so much, have clustered so close. I, I was counting up as we were talking here the number of things on my pin sheet where the trade and trend have have closed, and and even we've we've crossed both together today, which is kind of an interesting call out. That's not about oil and gas, but on the oil and gas front, um, what what I've been seeing is uh, really on the service side. You know, I, a few weeks ago I talked about how the wireline uh, part of our business was uh, suffering. And uh, the same thing happened about two weeks ago now to us on the frac side. There's a there's a kind of a general attitude in the industry that next year is going to be okay, and everybody's budgets are going to reset, and we're going to start spending again. Uh, but there's a lot of people that bu- whose budgets are run out, or they just want to delay a project. And uh, and there's a lot of space on frac calendars coming open. Um, and there's you know horsepower prices uh, have been taking a nosedive. Now you wouldn't know it looking at OIH. Or, uh, XLE or XOP or any of those things that that's not getting baked in at all because um, you know the the crude price continues to rally. But if you look at the natural gas pricing, uh, it it doesn't look so great uh, at least in the in the near term. And you see that even on the trend signal. You know we've gone from bullish to neutral to bearish to I don't know where it was this morning, but it looks bearish to me on the, on the sheet on the screen right now. So that's that's kind of the the short version of what's going on in oil field service land is yeah there's some there's some near-term pain and if you know pricing doesn't stabilize and activity doesn't stabilize uh there's going to be medium-term pain uh we continue to drop rigs and you know the fundamentals which don't really matter we know in these markets on the short term uh continue to be incredibly constructive if you just ignore the fact that saudi arabia is holding back to the barrels a day of capacity so if we're seeing global inventories continue to fall and, uh, you know, now Russia's even playing along because it's in their best interest to get oil prices up and they're constraining capacity. Now, you can you have some guys in the industry arguing that 
because of lack of investment, lack of Western technology, their capacity is diminished. But whatever the cause, they're they're holding back capacity. So that's that's kind of the uh, the short version from uh, oil land over here in in the great state of Texas. No, I appreciate that. Thing. No, it's a great update and always a pleasure. Always great to have your your insights. So we we've just passed up kind of a little over the hour mark here. Love to kind of open it up to anybody out in the crowd. If you guys got any questions or comments, please feel free to, to jump up. Uh, otherwise, we, we may just sort of wrap this thing up. But, but don't um, but don't let that stop you. Uh, we got some great, great power users of uh, of the hedge process and just really, really excellent um, investors generally in terms of uh, who's up here speaking. So, uh, you know, by all means, come on up and ask them any questions of. I guess I've got a couple for for the panel, and as folks uh, as 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 folks maybe muster the courage uh, to request to speak. Uh, so we're going into, I guess, here from a from an advisory standpoint, and Tim, I'm going to ask you kind of more because I know you more so manage your own uh, personal money, like like I did while while working. But um, so how, how do you guys? Uh, so Michael, other side, John, you know, how do you guys navigate the or how do you work to, to navigate the sort of uh, shorter term along with the, the kind of client expectations of, you know, obviously uh, more of like a longer, the longer term goals, right? So, you know, just to use our, or I guess like the Nowcast from Hedgeye perspective where we've got, some, you know, going in, you know, to, uh, you know, forecasting quad four here in Q, Q4 and then back to back quad threes to start uh, 2024. You know, how does that kind of, um, uh, I guess that that forecasts or you know influence either your conversations with your clients or navigating the portfolios uh, within your own books of business. Well, John, I'm going to go to you first. The forecast. Or I guess you're on mute. If you are, like, I'm going to mute you. Oh, there we go. Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, I'll be quite candid. I don't, I live in a present. <laughs> it's taken me a long time, a long time to do that. So, you know, the fact that there's two potential quad threes in the first half of next year makes me incredibly bullish on gold, like I yeah, talked yeah. about earlier, but, but I'm still managing it with the risk range. So I'm trying to work really hard to get my emotions out. And, you know, live in the present. Clay. And trade accordingly. So, so. Yeah, and how? Um, I, I, Sorry about that. No, you get it. How long would you would you say that kind of took? Hold on. That. Oh, sorry. You got me. Sorry about that. Can you guys hear me? Yep. Got you. Got you wrong. Clear. Sorry. Yep. Okay, yeah. So anyway, so that's what I was going to say. From my perspective, our clients are pretty much hands off, right? We just manage the money. Yeah. But 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 it's been there's two things that were changing. One is live in the present. Number two is start changing the size of the trades. So I know like Keith will hit it a bunch of times in a day or a week. I want to hit it more aggressively on either side of those risk ranges yeah. and get a little bigger initially to try to make more money while you kind of play this back and forth game. Yep. And how, how long would you say it kind of is taking you to get to that point? Just like, again, ballpark. 
Really well, literally, frankly, in the last three, four weeks, Jason right. and I, my partner, we sat down and said, listen, we got to, we, because when we're right, we want to make a lot more money, right? And so the risk management side of it works fine. We, we get out quickly enough to try to avoid, you know, major drawdowns or, or decent drawdowns. But on the flip side, we got to get aggressive on those endpoints, on those risk ranges, and, you know, just wait to see how the quads play out over the next coming quarters. Yeah. I mean, ideally, I'd, lo- I'd love to go, I'd love to go, you know, 30% gold, 30% short, 40% cash and call it good. That's how I used to do it, you know, seven, 10 years ago. And it worked. I made a lot of money, <laughs> but I also didn't sleep a lot, right? I mean, I didn't sleep because every day was like, holy shit, you know? Um, yeah, it's a concentrated book, for with- sure. Yeah, with with hedge, I mean, I sleep like a baby. It's an awesome way to manage wealth. Yeah, yeah. No, I think uh, yeah. Just to to echo your point, I mean, you know, getting to that max sizing when applicable, right? And then when and and I think that's the biggest thing is like the timing does matter and 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 executing at those the fringes of the risk range. You know, we say it time and time again. I think that's if you can get comfortable there and. And uh, and having a little bit of extra, like a little bit of patience and understanding that, you know, again, there's a lots of lots of commentary around that uh, across the board. But um, awesome, John, I appreciate that. And, and, and actually, actually, the third, the, the other thing that we're doing more of is focusing on stuff that's just about to transition from bearish to bullish, or vice versa, and try to take advantage of those as well. So if we can do that more aggressively, play the risk ranges more aggressively, and live in the present moment. And that's that's how we've really changed our process here in the last call it month or two. Awesome, that's super cool. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, Tim, I kind of same. How how are you kind of managing it on your on your pool gaffle bud? You know, kind of what I've done since you know, early summer when I um, just that really all this whole spring, you know, as it went the opposite direction, we kind of thought it was going to go. And just this relentless rally is you just keep sizing down, sizing down, sizing down. If it's not working, stop doing it. Is the moral of the story. Um, and so that's kind of where I'm at now. Is you know I'm playing, I'm playing smaller, uh, still playing ranges. I'm still looking, looking for where's the good spot, where's the good entry, where's the good exit. Um, using all the tools that Hedgeye brings to the table, and and, and you know gazing longingly at charts and doing all the other things that we all do. Um, but it's really about position sizing and trying to figure out, you know, where overall is my total book? You know, am I 50% gross? Am I, you know, last year I, I would have been, you know, 100% gross on a cash basis and, you know, 200% on an options adjusted delta basis. But this year you just can't do that um, unless you're going to, you know, go long uh, on certain assets, but certainly not play the way we played last year. So. It's, it's been a big shift in the way that I play the book and, you know, it's still playing the ranges, but it's, it's playing with different position sizing and, and just being more conservative because, you know, all the things that make sense that, you know, you would want to have happen. And she's talked about it on that, on the webcast yesterday. Um, they don't work the way we thought they worked because of all these structural issues in the market. And so we're, as we adjust to that, it changes the way we trade. Yeah. hundred percent. And yeah, it's great. That's really it's it's great to hear. I don't know. I don't know if Mitchell's still around, but if 
if you are oh there you go perfect yeah for um so same, same question to you but uh where how, how are you kind of navigating the short term with the longer term outlook um well you and i have talked uh offline i'm i'm trying to <laughs> one of i know you can't always uh you can't always adjust based upon clients but but um Michael, I think it was Michael that talked about clients not liking K1s and clients not liking, you know, so many trades. So what we're trying to do these days is we're trying to focus more on the trend uh, than the shorter term trade uh, traditions. So we're trying to let the literature come in just to rules in terms of losers before they become problematic. So... <laughs> If we can catch some threads, we can catch a nice run and just be in something for a while and not have to think about it. And if it does break a, a, a trend line, uh, we'll cut it because those trend lines do always move up, right? They, they move higher. So as the trend line moves higher, it, it almost acts as a, a trailing stop. And then as we get towards scenarios like um, uh, the quads, if, if we are near a quad four, then I'll just manage or mitigate that risk by holding more cash. Uh, and when I say cash at this point, if cash is going to pay me five, five and change percent, why dabble in duration right now? Like I'll, I'll worry about trying to catch the, you know, catch the, the, the downturn in yields when it's confirmed that they're headed down. Right, but at this point in time, that's not where we are. So, get five percent change, let us ride, and we'll adjust as John said, play the game at the moment. Right, so yeah, we'll go there. Yeah, brilliant. All right, Trillian, uh, thanks for jumping up. Probably looks like you're kind of the only one who ventured up here. So we'll we'll answer any questions you have, Trillian, and then uh, we'll call it uh, an afternoon. <clears throat> Hey, well, uh, thanks so much for having me up. Uh, as always, I appreciate everybody. Uh, you know, other side manager, Mitch, I, I subscribe to your email. That I, I, that's a great read as well. Uh, and um, this is a question for, I guess, uh, other side management as well as Tim. Um, that was some great data there. You know, I'm, I've kind of been noticing the same thing. Uh, I'll keep it short and sweet, not to hold you up there, uh, Rob. Um, so basically, Tim, um, you know, I've been looking at the oil services companies for for the past couple quarters. And yes, there is sustained revenues, uh, but it's mostly due to backlogs kind of coming into the present uh, for many in many cases. And with that being said, you know the interest rates to purchase or finance much of the equipment are obviously up substantially as with with anything to finance. Um, so it kind of discourages you know expansion of production. If you look at the Baker Hughes rig counts and that, uh, you know, it's all down. And as you alluded to there, you know, various production cuts are not only propping up the short-term price action of, of, of crude, but uh, obviously they're doing it because of the clear reduction in demand coming down the pipeline, no pun intended. Uh, do you see this this in the oil sector as well as the bond market plumbing issues that are starting to to bubble to the surface? Uh, leading to a March 2020 event, as in like a sudden drawdown. Uh, and, you know, this combined with, with the contributors, such as like the zero days to expiration options, 
you know, it just seems like a massive house of cars that continues to grow larger and larger every passing day. I was just curious to 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 your thoughts, guys. Thank, thanks so much. Well, I'll, I'll touch on part of that. I'll try not to pontificate uh, too broadly. But in the oil field space, you need when you look at the service side, you need to break it into manufacturers and true service companies uh, and guys that are out there pumping every day that are burning their equipment up on horizontal wells and having to replace it. Um, you know, th- that's one bucket that's super capital intensive. Uh, they may call it maintenance capex or opex. It just depends on how, what their accounting system is. Um, most of those guys, not all of them, but most of them fix their debt problem. And so they're not as levered as they were coming into 2020. Um, that being said, there's still some of them that if you had a prolonged, pricing uh, downturn because the financial markets decided to dump oil on on a you know everybody realizes oh my gosh we're going to have a recession uh, moment that could be a problem for for some of them um not not as many as coming into 2020 though because a lot of that got cleaned up uh, on the manufacturing side that's where you see the backlogs and some of that stuff coming out and you know Broadly, the equipment, when new equipment orders are still reasonably strong, um, mainly because a lot of people are upgrading to E-fleets, to natural gas-powered fleets. Uh, there's a lot of equipment turnover, and you know a, a lot of this frack equipment gets consumed uh, in the process of fracking. You can't run a frack pump forever if you're going to run sand through it. Eventually, it wears down, and, that, uh, and all, the, all the internals have to be replaced. So after 10 years, you've essentially got a brand new pump. You've just bought it piece by piece. So th- that's the two caveats I throw out there in the oil field space. Now, whether that actually results in a market cataclysm, uh, I'm not smart enough to know that. I, I generally, I generally would would lean that way, but um, you know, that's not a good short term trading strategy at all. At least it hadn't been for me. Yeah, truly. I mean, I think, like Tim. He's a, he, he's neck me been it, buddy. So as much as I would love to add my own two cents, I think that's uh, <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> did that did that help? <laughs> uh, yes, of course. No, those. Thank you. I all encompassing explanation. Yeah. All right, that was a really fucking good answer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was better. Yeah, I'm sure it's Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I'll just remain in the money market fund for now. <laughs> but but uh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Love here. All right. Well, um, thank you, everybody. Uh, Tim, other side, uh, John, and and uh, Michael for stepping up X2 as well. I know it's breach, but, um, you know, thanks. Well, we got Vegas. Excuse <clears throat> me. We got um, Vegas Regional or the Hedge Eye Regional in Vegas uh, on Tuesday next week. So for anybody attending that, looking forward to to seeing um seeing everybody at uh, the green valley ranch that should be a lot of fun and a great uh, another great opportunity to educate and get uh get some phenomenal interaction with a number of the sector heads that are flying out as well as myself and and david salem we are hosting a dinner just to plug that on tuesday night so if you're interested please uh, reach out to support at hedgeye.com and we'll get you hooked up with that dinner uh for those that are making it to Las Vegas. We did just uh, announce Chicago. Uh, so Chicago is happening on November uh, 9th, I believe it is. Uh, one second. It's a Thursday. Uh, yeah. Uh, so Thursday, November 9th uh, is our next Hedgehog Regional in Chicago. Uh, so mark that on your calendar. And um, if that's an easier destination for you get to get to, what have you, um, by all means, we'd love to, love to have you in Chicago as well. So uh, with that, we'll wrap things up. Appreciate everybody's time. Enjoy 
uh, your afternoon training session here, and uh, good luck out there. Don't forget to check out HedgeEye.com to get more actionable investing insights from our team of more than 40 research analysts. And check us out on Twitter at our handle, at HedgeEye. This presentation is informational only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute investment recommendation or legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice by HedgeEye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye subscribers and the authorized recipients of the content. All investments entail a certain degree of risk, and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors, including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedgeye. Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the terms of service at hedgeye.com slash terms of service.